Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, oh, pardon me. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am your host, Steve Norman. I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Brian Plank. Hello. And a last-minute addition to the roster, very much like Ant-Man in Civil War, Andrew Brooker. <laughs> Evening, guys. How are you? You were actually like the first recruit to the podcast, because you, well, you were the first person who put your name down for it anyway. <laughs> Just got booted to the side and then, <laughs> and then called back. And then I sort of, yeah, apologetically <laughs> creeped up to you and said, Brooker, um, <laughs> about me kicking you off that part. It's almost like I have nothing to do on a Monday night. <laughs> yeah, but well, yeah, we're glad to have you back as always. And I enjoyed listening to your Pick a Flick pod, by the way, that you were on talking about Age of Ultron. Oh, thank you. That was almost fun. Almost made me want to rewatch the film. <laughs> Only almost. <laughs> Just maybe I will possibly consider it if the ha- if it happens I, to occur. Yeah, I, I don't think, as much as I was a bit forgiving on it, I don't think I would want to watch it so soon after watching the more recent Marvel films. The only, well, the only way I think I would be more inclined to watch Age of Ultron again is if there was some kind of director's cut, because I feel like there was some stuff left on the cutting room floor that may have changed that film a little bit. Just a just a smidge, mm. but um, yeah. So um, obviously, we're talking about the next instalment in the Marvel franchise in this podcast, as it is our age. Uh, not Age of Ultron, is it? It's Civil War. It's our Civil War. Captain America <laughs> Civil War edition, which I believe we all enjoy. Just to have a little quick mention of it now. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it's five out of ten. Better than, five out of ten. Better than better than Hulk. Well, yeah. Hulk is bottom of the list for yeah. me of which, all the Marvel yeah. films. Which Hulk? Oh, the Incredible Hulk. Both of them yeah. combined. <laughs> like I, I like the Ed Norton Hulk. It was all right. Uh, didn't really. I thought do it. It was, then I watched it again. It, it's not really. Yeah, because this time last year you talked about it on the uh, Avengers minisode. That was I the first. Because I'm, I'm a Hulk champion. No, no, I'm not. It's not very good. <laughs> but yeah. It was good to see uh, William Hurt back, because he was good. Mm. Anyway, on to more more pressing matters. I can't get my words out tonight. Um, And I almost failed to produce a quiz for us, but I brought one back at the last minute. It's 2-0 to me at the moment as it stands, so if I do win, I get to make Owen watch something really, really bad. And I have put together a, a quiz at the last minute. It is, if everyone remembers how we used to do the quiz, I've got some filmographies of actors and actresses. I'll read out some films, and the people contesting have to guess 
who it is. It is Brooker and Brian versus Owen. Uh, Brooker and Brian playing on my behalf. And the first person we're starting off with in 2001 was Ian Black Hawk Down. Owen. Yes, Owen. Jake Gyllenhaal? No. Brooker. Yes. Eric Banner. It is Eric Banner. <laughs> good start. Good start for me. And Only because we were talking about Hulk. Uh, the next person who's up in 1996, they were in uh, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, I know it's Gwyneth Paltrow. It is not. Oh, John Leguizamo. No. Owen, do you want to have a guess? Uh, I don't think I've ever seen it. Was um, DiCaprio in it? Was that that one, or was that in something else? It's not. It's not DiCaprio. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got, was, I always get them confused. He was Shakespeare he, and James Cameron. He was in. Um, he was in Romeo and Juliet, DiCaprio. But it's not the person I'm thinking of. Um, it's the other person who was in it. Kate Winslet. No, the other person. <laughs> oh, it's her thing. Yeah, in um, 1998, they were in a film called Overnight Delivery. Right. Um, okay. We'll jump forward to 2004, where they co-starred in Anchorman. Paul Rudd. Yes, Owen. It is ruddy hell. It's Paul Rudd. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next up, then, with it poised at one all, it is 1995, and this person was in a film called Sabrina. Harrison Ford. No. Hmm. Scarlett Johansson? No. In 1997, no. they had a fair few films under their belt. One of them was Donny Brasco. But it ain't Johnny Depp and it isn't going to be... Uh... Was that... Yeah, he was in Donny Brasco, wasn't he? Um... No, can't think. Okay. This came as a surprise to me, reading their filmography. In 1998, they were in Saving Private Ryan. Everyone was in Save it Private, Saving Private Ryan. Well, were, were <laughs> they? Vin Diesel in Saving Private Ryan. Or Ryan he Michael was. It's not, it's not Vin Diesel, but he was. I know it's not Vin Diesel. I don't know if he well, was an operator was under the name of Vin Diesel at that point. Um, hmm. Another film he was in in 1998, this person, was The Truman Show. Oh, uh, Paul Giamatti. You are correct. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, are you starting to feel a bit tense? Uh, a little bit. Is it best of five? <laughs> it's, 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 well, essentially, yeah, I had five people down, so... Um, <laughs> yeah. So I have to get this one, otherwise I'm watching whatever god-awful film you've... Yes. Get in store. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll go to 2011 and start off with this person and go with... Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Not Gary Oldman. I heard a name come from somebody else. I did not hear it. It was me. I said Gary Oldman. Okay. No. Cumberpatch. It was. Oh! <laughs> Shit. So, Owen. Now, oh. I've, been, I've been wanting to make you watch this film for a little while now. Mm-hmm. And I've just never had the chance. Mm-hmm. Um... It's a um... just rip off the band-aid, Steve. Come on. Well, I'm going to tease you a little bit. It's a it's a film that involves pop stars acting. 
It's not Spice World. It is. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> you have got to watch the 1997 British musical comedy film Spice World. That is forever going to taint my Netflix recommendations. Starring, starring uh, alongside Richard E. Grant and Meatloaf, <laughs> the Spice Girls. Mm. Mel B, Emma Bunton, Mel C, Jerry, and Victoria Beckham. Adams at the time the film was made, though. <clears throat> oh, wow. Bless you, my son. Yeah, cheers for that, Brooker. <laughs> Whose idea was that to invite you onto the fucking podcast for... <laughs> <sighs> sorry. No, I'm not oh. sorry because Spice World is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, it's got some, it's got some names in there. Peter Sissons and the news anchor plays himself. Dominic and West in it. Dominic West's in there. Elton John's in it. Geldof's in it. Bob Hoskins is in it. Sounds a hoot. Geldof and Elton John. How could you not want to watch it? <laughs> Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fryer in there. No, really? Yeah, Jules Holland's in it. Michael Barrymore's there. Oh, no, it is a party. George, George Went, who was Norm in Cheers, he's <laughs> in it, apparently. <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> You're going to have so much fun watching this film. I, do, I have seen it before. I don't care, you're watching it again. I was. Uh, when did it come out? 97? Yeah. So, yeah, I would have been 11. What the fuck was I doing watching that at 11? Oh, my God. Well, you could watch it now at nearly 30. <laughs> yeah, maybe have a different perspective on it. It might change, might change your life. Mm. Yeah. I can't wait. <sighs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Just ruined well, this holiday weekend. I mean, it's it's a podcast where we're talking about a big ensemble cast in a film and there's nothing bigger <laughs> than the Spice Girls. Mm. Should we move swiftly on to the news and hopefully Alan can recover a little bit? <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. news section was going to be quite light this week and the only real thing we could find to talk about was that uh, Netflix and Marvel have commissioned a Punisher after the character's uh, success in Daredevil yes um, I suppose did we see it coming or are we yeah. I mean it, it was a very popular character and his part in it has been cited in lots of reviews that I read as like people's favourite thing about the latest season of Daredevil uh, I'm just as well I'm just assuming we've seen the latest season of Daredevil I know you have Brooker and you're a big fan Brian have you seen it I've not watched any of the Marvel Daredevil stuff at all okay no, no, is no. that for any reason or just because you I... haven't got round to it or what I barely watch TV. I'm currently watching season two of Fargo just now, at the rate of about one episode every four months. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, it's definitely worth a watch. But um, so yeah, Brooker, why is it a good thing that Punisher's getting his own TV series? I think they've done a really good job of giving him uh, a really cool backstory in season two of Daredevil, actually. And I, and I know a lot of people are going to hate me for saying it, but I actually think he was the best part of season two of Daredevil. I you know, I love the you know the, the Daredevil character. I think is great, and you know I've said before I'm a big fan of of anybody that can fight like that on screen, and it's always good fun to watch. But just the the he was just so visceral as the Punisher. John Bernthal's Punisher was just mm-hmm. brutal, and I just wanted to get up and cheer every time he was on the screen. And when we get to the end of the season, I just I screamed like a little girl at a Bieber concert. 
<laughs> Much like I did when I did when they announced that they were giving him a TV show. Yeah, when I, I bet when I played that little video that Netflix tweeted out, I just like goose pimples everywhere and just shaking in my seat. I was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought bits of season two were a bit disappointing. Um, it was mainly the bits with. Um, the Punisher when he was not with um, Murdoch but when he was with uh, Karen yeah that was it yeah Jesus Christ yeah when when Punisher was interacting with Karen they were the weaker moments of the season for me because I, I get that the, the point of them was to make was to make Frank Castle seem a bit more human and not just this monstrous killing machine who's psychologically damaged but there's actually something behind him you know he's got a person but it he was good karen was not is how i approach those scenes i I just didn't enjoy i um, i don't enjoy her as an actress anyway i don't think she's very good i think she was she was shite in daredevil i thought she was shite in true blood yeah i I liked her more in true blood and i liked her more than that in the first season of daredevil but this time it was just the fact that they were trying to make her character to um not big, but too separate from the rest of them. Yeah. Um, when she worked best, when it was her, Foggy, and Murdoch yeah. all together. And so branching them out to give them individual story arcs, especially because then it meant Foggy, who actually in this season was quite good, but was sidelined. Yeah, he seemed relegated a bit, didn't he? Yeah, which is a shame. But, you know... But, it was kind of coming, I felt, this new season, like a solo season for Frank Castle from the way that season one, uh, season two finished. You just knew there's more to come from from Punisher and they're not going to end that story there. I just, I, I would like them to do it not in Hell's Kitchen. Hmm. Hell's Kitchen is not a very big place and there's far too much happening on there with no one seeing anybody else. Mm-hmm. So it would be nice if they kind of they keep it a little bit realistic is probably the wrong word for, for that particular universe. But it'd be nice for him to go somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. Just to have his own. Yeah. So he can have his own little bit of story away from everyone else. Yeah. Because he, he possibly won't tie too much into someone like Jessica Jones or, you know, um, the Immortal Lion Fist, which is due out. Is it this year, next year? Uh, Iron Fist is next year, isn't it? Is that next year? Luke Cage is this year. Yeah, Luke, Luke Cage, Cage right. Okay. September. Yeah. No, got right. the more, the so more Punisher, the better. I love it. Time now for what we've been watching, where we have a look at films we've seen in the last week or so. Usually this doesn't include new releases, but as uh, our new release section can be dominated by Civil War, uh, we will put a few in this bit this week. I want mean, you to start us off with what you've seen. Okay, so I watched, uh, actually both Brooker and I watched a screener for an indie horror film called Restoration that comes out uh, the day of this podcast's release, Tuesday, the 3rd of May. Um, It's about a young couple who move into a new house and whilst doing some restoration work, hey, that's the name of the film, Restoration, yeah. Um, Anyway, whilst doing the restoration works, they uncover a child's diary that's been hidden inside a stuffed bear inside the walls of the house. And um, 
Actually, I mean, I did describe this as a, an indie horror film, but it's not really horror. It's more of a mystery thriller with some supernatural elements. Uh, it felt very European to me, even though it's not. It's, it is an American production, but it felt quite European. Or maybe just that sort of um, that 70s uh, giallo kind of vibe to bits of it. So I'd liken it to films such as, uh, you know, Don't Look Now or Deep Red or even maybe like uh, The Blood on the Satan's Claw or Let's Scare Jessica D Death, that kind of thing, with a bit of Rosemary's Baby chucked in there as well, I guess. It's kind of, it's a mix of a lot of different types of mystery, drama, thriller, is what I'm getting at. And uh, basically, though, in, the, in regards to the plot, something bad's happened. You learn there's been a bit of a cover-up. You're not sure by whom or what or why. And then information's kind of slowly unraveled from, from then on. Um, it's directed by a chap called Zach Ward. Uh, but the reason that I watched it, and I'm pretty sure the reason Brooker watched it too, is because it's co-written by James Cullen Bresick, who is uh, Zach Ward's sort of co-producer. They've got a, a production company together. Um, but for those that don't recognise the name, he's a low-budget indie filmmaker who's made one or two films for, like, The Asylum, you know, the notorious film company behind the likes of Sharknado and all those mockbusters and stuff. But he often seems to direct really uh, fucked-up horrors when left to his own devices, such as Pernicious, which came out last year. And um, I enjoyed that. I know, Brooker, you're a big fan of his as well, having reviewed Pernicious for us. As well as, I think you reviewed to Jennifer and Hate Crime and White Crack Bastard and all these films that he's worked on as well. Yeah, um, I, I spent a lot, far too much time going through one person's filmography. <laughs> yeah. He did Blood Lake as well, I think, which I watched. It wasn't sick. Yeah, the, uh, the weird killer fish thing. Yeah. That was not yeah. good. But I, I think that was one he'd been commissioned to do. So I think there are, there are those films you can tell that he's um, been asked to make on no money and just does, you know, a job. And then there are films like Pernicious that feel like personal projects. And I think, and Hate Crime as well, which I know that you were a fan of. Um, it's really bad to say that I'm a fan of that. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> I never feel good saying one. One of the films I really like the most is a film about crackhead, skinhead Nazis who break into a Jewish couple's home and rape and kill everyone. Yeah. For no reason. Mm -hmm. Home invasion films. You, but they always feel a bit dirty, recommending to people. Yeah. I tend, yeah. To, I tend to not recommend hate crime to people. <laughs> no. Uh, well, I mean, particularly as it's banned in this country. Well, yeah, there is that, of course. Yeah. Um, but what did you think of Restoration, then, Brooker? What I, did you think of it? I quite liked it. It was, it was middle of the road. Uh, it was, uh, I mean, it wasn't crap at all. There were no points where I was kind of reaching for my iPad or wanting to do something else. I was engrossed, but it wasn't a very long film, so I, I didn't really have time to get bored. Mm -hmm. I, I, I liked it. Yeah. See, I thought it was really well directed by Zach Ward. Um, yeah, I don't based... know much of Zach Ward's work. I, mean, I don't. I think that's probably the first film of his I've seen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I had good. a look at his um, his IMDb, and he's been in stuff that I've seen and just don't really recognise him. But he's actually in this as well. He is in it. He's one of the uh, the neighbours, isn't he? He's one of the neighbours, yeah. He's a, the weird, strange neighbours who are a bit too um, involved. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so he's in this and he's pretty pretty good in his little role. 
Um, but based on how well the film is shot, I mean, it's like how how I mean when I say that it's it's well directed because you know, regardless of context or plot or anything like that, it's one of the best looking micro budget films that I've seen whilst reviewing them for Fail Critics. It's it looks really like it cost more to make than it actually did, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it doesn't fall into a lot of the a lot of cheap indie films, especially indie horror films that that we tend to watch. They they all tend to look the same, don't they? And they tend mm-hmm. to look very cheap. This one it didn't. It, it looked really good. It looked it it looked for want of a better word, professional. Yeah, yeah, it did. It didn't look like it was made to a blueprint. They were trying different things. There was some interesting um uh, shots, individual shots in there. there um, genuinely a... creepy parts in that film as well. Yeah. I wasn't really creeped out by it. And, only by one bit. One bit down mm. in the uh, in the records room mm. when the lights were going and the thing was creeping about. Yeah, that, yeah. But things coming out the dark scared the living shite out of me. <laughs> it, I think it's why I was genuinely terrified watching like We Are Still Here. Right. I genuinely right. I ran up the stairs much faster that night. And yeah, it is very similar to We Are Still Here in lots of different. It does feel. I said that to the missus actually while we were watching it. I thought it does feel a lot like a, a slightly cheaper We Are Still Here, except it doesn't go batshit crazy in the last twenty minutes like that one does. Although this story is a little bit um, haphazard in its approach. I mean, in terms of pacing, it's quite nice and even. You know, there's a steady stream of these escalating events and a sort of drip feeding of character and story revelations and stuff. But it's not really... I didn't think it was very scary. I didn't think it was actually that sinister or dark. Unsurprisingly, it wasn't that fucked up. No, it, it, it felt more like James a, a the slightly, name. slightly darker Columbo episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, it seems like what it really could have done with is just a little bit more refining... Because there were just too many different unconnected strands in the film. You've got like a mental asylum, you've got satanic cults, you've got hauntings, you've got amateur investigations going on, like them in a library and records rooms and stuff. Nothing ever quite ties together, does it? No, and particularly as well, because it seems to suddenly, at one point, the relationship between the two main characters just changes for no apparent reason. Yeah, their little revelation when that happens, you're like, well, why the fuck are you reacting like that? It didn't feel particularly um, organic in the way that it was it was brought about. It just was a bit, a little bit too jarring. And I think the problem with the film overall is there's just too little of too much. Yeah. If you know what I mean, it's, there's not enough of one particular angle. It's like I've got this uh, this idea. We can put this in. Oh, this will be really cool. But it doesn't feel connected. Maybe because it's two writers together and they're both trying to, you know fight for getting their ideas across and therefore it feels like a, just a mishmash of different things but you know what I will say though finally um, before we move on to somebody else is uh, I thought the main actress Emily O'Brien was really good and I know this is like a very backhanded compliment in some <laughs> ways but after seeing her in this and in Pernicious I think she's too good to stick to these indie movies and she's done a bit of voiceover work for video games I think she was in she voiced something in Shadow of Mordor and The Order, 1886. Yeah. And apparently she's voicing some character in the new Final Fantasy game. But it would be, I don't know, maybe a, a bit of a shame for her not to graduate to uh, perhaps like a decent-sized TV production. Yeah. Or maybe to a bigger studio film. 
I mean, maybe she prefers doing indie movies like this that, you know, give her a bit more freedom. Who knows? But she has been the outstanding cast member in both of these two films. She sort of stands head and shoulders above everybody else. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Emily O'Brien in something a bit more ambitious, perhaps. Yeah, but, you know. I'd agree with that. You know, yeah. But Restoration, it comes out uh, 3rd of May, Tuesday the 3rd of May, and is not terrible. In fact, you know, so far as tiny little indie mystery thrillery things go, it's it's pretty decent. Okay, uh, Brooker, what have you seen? Uh, so I I took my little and see the Ratchet and Clank movie, the film based on the video game that <clears throat> stupidly came out the same week as Captain America and expected to make money. <laughs> uh, it's not going to, mainly because it's not that great a film. Uh, but yeah, it's. For, for those who haven't played uh, the Ratchet and Clank games, it's Ratchet is this weird cat type thing. He's he's called a Lombax, but he's just he's a cat with rather large ears, uh, and he he kind of happens upon uh, a defective warbot that turns out to be like the friendliest little thing ever. But he's got uh, an emergency message he needs to get to these you know the space police uh, because. Crazy Nutter is is looking to take over the universe by destroying all the planets. Actually, Crazy Nutter is played by Paul Giamatti. That's why I knew his name. Because <laughs> right. I was looking him up earlier. <laughs> See what else he'd done for uh, review stuff. But yeah, it's it's fun. It, it's a little... It's basically cartoon buddy cop movie. Uh, two guys tried to save the universe with silly jokes. It's all right. Uh, the biggest problem it's got actually is it's it's basically all the cutscenes from the the Ratchet and Clank video game that was released two weeks ago, uh, which is basically a remake of the Ratchet and Clank game which was released I think about fourteen years ago. So if you played either the Ratchet and, the original Ratchet and Clank or the one that came out a couple of weeks back, you've seen the entire movie. You just you have the thing that the the movie's missing, and that's the platforming joining the sections together. It's a bit, you know, it was a bit of fun. I think you know my little and enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was a bit of fun, but I wouldn't really recommend it to anybody. You know the thing I I watched the um, Batman Lego Movie game that came out uh, as a film a few years back. Oh yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, this might actually be quite good. You know, I stuck it on, didn't realise literally all of all that was was the cutscenes from the Lego Batman game. And they released just those as a film. It's been something that game companies have been wanting to be able to do and monetize for years. Uh, really... But it just doesn't work. I mean, it's like taking, I don't know, uh, panels out the middle of a comic and just expecting to stick them together in some order. Yeah. Um, without any other words, you know. I mean, it's it, it's half a thing. It just doesn't doesn't work, in my opinion. It, I just think it's a bit of a cash grab, and it is a, a bit oh, it's absolutely it's a cash grab. Uh, uh, quite a few years back now, actually, uh, Activision when they first took over Blizzard Entertainment, first thing they wanted to do was monetize StarCraft Two more by selling the cutscenes from StarCraft. Now, if you ever played StarCraft, it's famous for its movie level cutscenes in this game and 
the thing is, I actually knew that people would pay the money to to watch them and buy the DVDs and shit. But I think there was enough backlash for it that they didn't mm. bother. But this, it it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like a cash grab, but it feels like a cash grab. Mm. It, you know, there is absolutely, you can sit and watch it like the missus came with me and she didn't realize she was missing out on bits. The two-year-old came with me. She doesn't know what edge of the cinema smells the worst. So it's, you know, <laughs> neither here nor there to her. But, you know, me being the person that's played the games, I, I noticed bits were missing. Uh, but the kind of game that Ratchet and Clank is, you don't miss story bits by not having those playthrough bits. It just felt like it was... I wanted to have my controller in my hand the entire time I was watching, uh, it, mm. which was a real shame because it was really fun, but I was distracted looking for my controller. <laughs> it's it's a strange thing for it to get released as a theatrical film. They have been you know? they they have had plans. They announced I think it was two and a half years ago. No, it must be nearly three years ago now. They announced this film as a film, mm-hmm. uh, and they said there would be a tie-in game. What they didn't do was say the game was a remake of the original and then the film would be that. Mm. Uh, so it, it is, I don't think this was the original idea for it. I think it quite possibly just went severely over budget and they went, right, cut scenes, because they've made this new game for PlayStation 4. So it's all like high quality stuff anyway. So they've gone, mm-hmm. you know, cut scenes, just stick it all together and sell it to cinemas. No one's going to cry if it doesn't make any money. No, made well, money the with thing. The I mean, the game has been made on this on X budget, and literally they've taken cutscenes and copied them out and stuck them all together. So it's cost almost nothing, I would I would guess, to uh to produce this thing. You know, it, it, it's distributed under PlayStation Originals, so it's distributed by the same people that make that fucking god awful Powers TV show. Oh, is that bad? It's fucking ghastly. Uh, that... It's not out here yet, is it? Is it, it, will never, it will never come out here. If you want it, you either have to pirate it or buy it from the American PlayStation it, Store. I think it's on Spike TV from May the 13th, something like that. Oh, wow, Channel 5, spending more money getting rubbish. Yeah, the thing with Charlotte Copley, right? Yeah, it's not good. Uh, it's, 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 it's crap heroes, which is saying something. That I hadn't heard anything. I knew it was coming out, and it must have been released to zero fanfare at all mm. not even anyone saying this is bad just it was ignored which is even worse than being told you're bad yeah it's based on the comic though right Perez? yeah, yeah it's I, do, I don't know the comic though you know as, as i said a, a, a million times before i don't read comic books i i know nothing about it i don't know if it's true to the comics or what it's just it's mm-hmm. just a bit shit okay i have seen um the netflix original Produced, uh, created, written by Ricky Gervais, which was special <laughs> correspondent starring himself and Eric Banner um, as two news correspondent. Well, Eric Banner is a news correspondent uh, for a, a radio station. Um, Ricky Gervais's character is a kind of sound technician is for the same radio station. They are tasked with going to Ecuador for some. Well, not not Ecuador for some reason. They go to Ecuador to cover, or meant to go to Ecuador to cover a war that has broken out. Quite what Ecuador's picked, I don't know. I don't know what Ricky Gervais has against the Ecuadorian people. Um, he, has some, <laughs> he, he has something against comedy in this film um, because it's not very funny. Um, but basically, on the way uh, to the airport, 
Ricky Gervais's character, who has just parted from his his wife, uh, has which Eric Banner's character has slept with, but they don't know. He doesn't know that it was Ricky Gervais's character's wife, and he doesn't know that it was. So anyway, he loses the passports and the plane tickets on the way to the airport. There is no time to get new documentation. They will obviously have jobs under fire if they go back to the radio station and tell them this. So they decide to fake it, the whole thing, pretend they're out there. Uh, and the story develops from there. It's meant to be, I believe, not a political satire, but a satire of the way the media works in parts, as well as a comedy film. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's particularly heavy-handed. I'd just say uh, it's just not very good. There's not many laughs in it. Ricky Gervais plays the same character he does in every single thing he's done, um, except perhaps Derek. And it's just, yeah, it's just really disappointing. I don't know why I'm disappointed by Ricky Gervais anymore because it, it's starting to be the, the he's starting to be- become, to draw a football analogy, the Arsene Wenger of comedy in so mm. much as he was really good at the beginning and now it's just getting more diminished returns every time. But you just keep thinking back to the good stuff and thinking, well, yeah, he's still good. It's good, you know. To extend that analogy, it sounds like he's not being funny on principle. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, cause I love The Office. I love extras. I like, I like Derek. Um, I like anything where he's trying to really wind up Carl Pilkington um, or anything, that, you know. Um, there's a lot of, his, his stand-up, for the most part, I like. But then the stuff he's done more recently, it's just, I don't know. I don't know if he's, I don't know if it's him trying too hard, if he's just doing the wrong things, if he needs to vary what he's doing, because like I say, he does play the same character in every... Not the same character, he does play the same kind of person in everything that he puts himself in. His two his two films, The Invention of Lying and... I can't remember the name of the other one, the other kind of... Horror. Oh, the... Um, go, oh, what was it? With, uh, the, the, Ghost the Dead something? People one. Ghost, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. But they weren't particularly very good either. I don't know. It's because um, you know he he stopped working with Stephen Merchant, and the two of them together were were kind of of comedy gold. But apart, they're not. Uh, sorry, I've just been distracted because I've got the Chelsea Tottenham game on in the background. Chelsea just equalised, so Leicester might win the league. I'm trying to distract myself now and talk about films. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yes, um, yeah. It's just I don't I don't know what it is. I. I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts on why he's kind of diminishing returns. What's going on? If he, he he's certainly not a one-hit wonder. He certainly is a very good comedian uh, and writer of comedy, and can also write really good, you know, emotional, serious parts as well, like he has done in in the office and in extras. I, I genuinely don't know if it's just him getting worse or if, um, you know, he he's kind of burnt out or if it is him not writing as part of a team anymore mm. I get the impression that he's not a man who suffers from a lack of confidence in himself no and I kind of <laughs> feel that he'll sit and write yeah that's good we'll do that but without someone like I, Merchant I, with I'm him he's got no him. one to say he's got no one to say actually hang about that isn't that good maybe let's leave that out or do something different or change it up a bit I've got a vision of him at a, a writer's room or doing a first read through and he's sitting reading the script and crying with laughter at how funny he is. While well, everyone else just gives maybe, him a look. Maybe he is a bit Brent in himself. 
in so much as it is fucking stunt. Sorry. <laughs> did, did you go to the cinema last year and there was an advert with him saying, "I've got a film coming out, not like soon, but like next year. It'll be out soon. Well, yeah, not soon, but yeah. I mean, the Brent movie's coming out, and I and I thought the the Brent movie's coming out this this year. I think it is. And while I I thought obviously loved the office and while when he brought Brent back for comic relief uh, and did the few other bits around it like the teach yourself guitar with David Brent I thought they were hilarious they were brilliant but you know would the Brent movie work or not I don't know um the trailer looked awful to me mm. it was just I mean how many times was the office knob gags you know yeah it just feels like it's um yeah, maybe there is something in that whole thing about you know him and Merchant need to be together. Maybe yeah. it's true. Cause... Stephen Merchant seems to be having some some kind of success going going on his own in America as well. Um, he also come up with that well, god awful but... um, lip sync battle thing that was his idea apparently, but that's just taken off and got its own show in England and the US and everything. But um, you know he he's certainly kind of about in the. Someone he's going to be in Transformers Five, and some what? other ridiculous blockbuster next year. That's different. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think this is the only thing that Gervais has got planned as a Netflix original. I think there was a, I think it might well have been a two movie or two feature deal. So there might well be something else coming up as well. Perhaps that'll be better. Wasn't this planned for theatrical release and then went to Netflix and was released very very quickly? I've no idea to be honest. I mean, the con- the concept sounds quite good. You can kind of see there's a good idea in there, and you you think that uh, a, a a top form Brent or a Brent and Merchant double act would would, would pull it off you, fantastically. You think you're based. Yeah. So yeah, well, whatever they want to call Brent or yeah, but anyway, so, you know, it could it could work better, but I, I don't know. I just wanted to go back to winding up Carl Pilkington. Uh, Brian, what have you seen? I watched. The 1970-something film Rollerball. I didn't like it, and I'm pretty sure I'm missing something. It's got a six and a half rating on IMDb, and all the reviews are saying 10 out of 10. It's vivid, it's colourful, sexy, brutal. I think it's another film that's of its time. For those that don't know what it is, it's about a dystopia, 2018, where the corporations have taken over um, the executives control everything and they keep people sedated with rollerball, which is a team game where the rules individual is nothing. But they've got this one superstar. They, the execs try to kill him off because the whole point of the game is that the individual is nothing and is useless. And it starts off thinking this might be interesting and weird because it's got, um, I think, the Bach, Fugue, and D. Like the, the horror movie organ music is what you'll mm-hmm. know it as. And there's lots of things that are shot behind the glass looking at someone. I think it's got an interesting visual style. But it's really long and boring. <laughs> and for a film about people roller skating around and punching each other with BDSM gloves, I, I didn't like it. The most exciting bit was when Burke Kwok showed up. Because I remember him from the Harry Hill show when I was a kid. <laughs> but he did this song. Um, oh, that's a shame. But I'm almost, I'm almost certain that I'm missing something. 
possibly because it's a thing of its time. I've, I read up on it, and it's post-Vietnam, and there's all this disillusion with the state and what it can do for you and corporations taking over. Um, and it's also a big one for women just literally being passed around as things. Because our hero, James Khan, he's really pissed off because someone took his wife. Like an executive said, you're my wife now. Not like Papa Lazarus, mm. the other one. Uh, and then all the women are passed around like a string of concubines, like, here's your girlfriend for the next six months. It's weird and I didn't like it. It's also two, over two hours long. And it, it felt it. It really felt it. I've never seen it. Um, but these cult films often do divide audiences. I mean, mainly because, you know, that's by virtue of them being cult films, lots of people don't like them. Some people absolutely love them. And I tend to find you, you find movies that are appealing to you in one aspect and then you just ignore all the bad stuff with these. So if there's well, something in, in Rollable you really love, you can quite easily forgive the stuff that you don't like because you want it to be good. Do you see what I mean? There's, yeah, there's... I thought I'll, I'll watch it as a sports film. Mm. It's about uh, a big player on his last season. He's got a chance at winning the championship. Familiar sports story, but unlike a more recent sports story, this man, even though he's on roller skates, doesn't actually slip. And he does win the league. Spoilers. Um, mm. but, but he wins it by being sole literally the sole survivor of the final game of the season. Sounds like a happy ending to me. Yeah, it is a happy ending. Because it shows that one man can stand against... No, it does. It sh the point of it is that one man can stand against the corporations. But mm -hmm. well, it skirts around the point quite a lot while also hammering the point home in other bits. It's been adapted by a guy who wrote the short story for it. And I kind of think that, like, with the Gervais stuff we're talking about, mm -hmm. it maybe needed someone else to say, what are you trying to do? How about we do it this way? Because it's, it's a very singular vision. After a brief delay due to unrelated to the podcast factors, we're now going to, to review uh, Civil War. Captain America Civil War, the third film in the uh, Captain America series. Oh, or the fourth in the Iron Man series. As it's yes. Sort of... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could have been the third Avengers film. Um, it was packed with characters. Uh, and it felt a bit more like the Avengers film that we should have had last year rather than Age of Ultron, in fairness. Yes, um, it, was far, it seemed far more of an Avengers film even though Hulk and Thor were missing than it did um, uh, a Captain America film. Uh, also, quickly, by the way, we'll be doing a spoiler alert on this film um, later, so um, this part won't spoil any of the film for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll try and keep it out. But we will just like recap for people um, what the plot to Civil War is, because I know that it should sound pretty obvious. But I say that because I've been watching all the films and I've read the comics and I'm aware of what it was going to be about. But it's just essentially about uh, accountability is what the film's for. The government, the UN, 
even, the United Nations are holding the Avengers to account for the destruction that has, you know... The collateral, the collateral, collateral damage. Exactly. Everything from um, Hulk, when he first came, uh, got, came about in the Incredible Hulk film. Doing, to, doing some Hulk smash. Yeah, to the aliens in New York. To the helicarriers crashing into Washington in Winter Soldier, Sokovia being picked up and dropped on top of itself in Age of Ultron, and so that the idea is with this film, there's a team, well, not even a team, there's just a divide in ideologies between certain members of the Avengers. Some are siding with the United Nations who want them to sign an agreement to say. You know, yeah, we will operate under your guidelines. We won't just run off and be vigilantes anymore. And the other half, which is Captain America's side, who the film is mainly told from the perspective of, who think that being government pimps is not what they want to do. They will see trouble and run towards it, as is their want. So that's it, really. And it just becomes a better clash of these ideologies, these, these theories, the... The beliefs that the characters have, and they're sort of split down the middle. It sounds like a really like boring, doesn't it? Topic. It, it sounds yeah. like it, it should one not step work away from. It's one step away from the taxation of trade routes. Yeah. When you describe yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, it's it's nowhere near as as bad as as a film in set in space talking about trade routes. It's it's just <laughs> it's just fantastic from from more or less start to finish um yeah because we we talked afterwards on via email didn't we and you said it yeah. was straight into your top three it was yeah i mean maybe in hindsight maybe not certainly avengers assemble and guardians of the galaxy are top two easily for me and then this one does rival um winter soldier for for third place mm-hmm. um in in my top three um it's it's very close with with um, Winter Soldier, but it is just it, it's it's everything a superhero film should be, and it deals with a huge cast and a lot of characters really well. No one feels underdone, no one feels overdone. And the film doesn't. Uh, it's only it's only just over two hours. I think it's two hours and two and a half hundred, hours. Two hours twenty-seven. Hundred forty-seven minutes, I think it was. So it's just just shy of two and a half hours, but it never feels like it drags. Where don't really want to make this about comparing this and Batman versus Superman, but that film did at points drag for me. Um, yeah. Whereas this didn't. It it went along at a good pace and and felt enjoyable all the way through. Uh, so I'm not I'm not going to keep comparing the two films, but you know that drag this didn't. For I can me, I can see me, why people do make the comparisons. I can see where they're coming from, but I really don't think they exist at all. They're very different. Yeah types of film they're very different um it's just basically because you've got superheroes on either side and that's not uh, yeah let's just not 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 do that let's not they're both about accountability they're both you can read them as a reaction to man of steel and that batman versus superman went all right maybe we shouldn't go smashing things up Mm -hmm. and civil war has has got a character who says flat out this is unacceptable. This is too much destruction, and we need to be aware of how we react to the world. It's the first superhero film where there's not a big smash-up, where people have to 
be rescued. Well, that's There's it. A big destructive set piece, because that's, that's yeah. not what the film's about. It's about making sure stuff like that doesn't happen. And I think you can compare the two, because I get the feeling that the Russos have written this with half an eye on what Man of Steel did wrong. They, they probably wouldn't have written it with regard to Batman versus Superman, because they're in production at the same time. Mm-hmm. But they're sending a very different message to Man of Steel. Because uh, Tony Stark is an absolutist and saying, I don't care if one person dies, that's too many. I mean, you can Whereas see... Batman you can see... Superman mm-hmm. is eggs, omelettes, eh. But the difference is, you know, in man, in the, the DC world, the, the destruction was caused by the superheroes. It was their, it was their fault. Whereas in the um, Marvel universe is different because the Avengers are trying to mop up stuff whilst the government, the humans, the... the the non-superheroes are the ones trying to destroy everything by, like, firing nuclear missiles at, at New York that have to be diverted by the superheroes. Or they're, or they're trying to, like, stop aliens that are wrecking up the place. Yeah, so this, like, I, I do still believe they're very different in terms of what they're trying to address. Um, and, and that's why the film makes the bit at the beginning exciting incident doesn't come from a baddie. It comes from a hero fucking up. Mm-hmm. And... Without being spoilery, when that bit happened in the cinema, I was shocked. I sat back and went, <gasps> "Yeah," because it came from nowhere. But it fitted in perfectly, and they played it really well. In that everyone on screen goes, "Oh, shit!" <laughs> yeah, and it, there was emotional weight. The destruction. They put faces to it. I said, these are people who had mums and dads and hopes and dreams. And you can't just do the thing that Star Trek Into Darkness does, where you smash a plane through a building, or that Man of Steel does, where you take the roof off a skyscraper. Because there's people inside this. And there was a thing I read last year about how it used to be that films were about saving the world and that you stop a disaster from happening. And in the last 15 years, i.e., since September 11th, they've been about mitigating things. Like, if you watch the trailers for X-Men Apocalypse, stuff gets smashed up, cities are destroyed. Go a trailer for Transformers and for Turtles. It's all about things being smashed up and working within that. Whereas what um, Civil War does is say, let's just not have that happen. Can we mm-hmm. get there before this? Yes. Well, I mean, I, I that in the context of every other big blockbuster, who just have a, a boner for smashing things. Mm. Well, that's board. not exactly. I mean, you say that, but the Marvel films have been just as guilty of that in the past. Pretty much all oh, of them. That's why this is an interesting change in direction. Yeah. Because they have been guilty, and this is the. I don't know if it's the Russos redirecting the franchise, or if they're saying this is the story that we want to tell for this one. Mm. But it is very different to everything else. It's yeah. I mean, civilians. in terms of it, it's very unconventional. Civilian casualties. Yeah, yeah, it's unconventional in the structure of it, definitely compared to the stuff that has come before. The, I mean, you mentioned as well, like the the final climactic fighting that normally is how these conflicts are resolved in Marvel movies. 
this one without saying anything. I'm not going to reveal what the fight is or if the you know what level it is, but it's it's different. It's played very differently, and the, the, it, the big climactic fight takes place off screen. Yes, yeah, and it's 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 very um, daring from the the filmmakers to do that. And I know, I know there are people. I've spoken to people about uh, Civil War who said they thought it was a bit boring. They weren't very impressed with it. Came out of the cinema a bit disappointed. And I think it's because it's very talky. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of dialogue, and it's not all exposition. It's not all like just quips every five minutes. There's there's things discussed, and it's unusual to see that in a big Marvel blockbuster, for them to take a minute to just sit down and have it out with words, you know. There's a moment in the film with um, Rogers and Stark, and it's just them two in a room, and rather than beat each other or, you know, one puts on the the suit, the other grabs his shield, and then they smash it out for, for five to ten minutes, they just talk it through. And it's like, this is what's going on. What This is unusual. This is a different tact to how you expect it to go. And it's great. It's great to see them doing uh, a Marvel superhero film that way. Or at least I felt it was great. Like I say, I know there are people who disagree and they wanted the action. That's what they get out of these films. And, you know, that's fine. But I just I just felt personally rather this than Age of Ultron again. It, it helps that when the, you do have the big set too, both... Tony and Steve have a real feeling of God damn you for making me do this. Mm. If I yeah. no one want to have. But if we're talking about the sides, which side were we all on? Because I, um, I started Tony and then I thought there's a very good case for being Team uh, Cap. Well, there's the the sort of the logic to the argument, isn't there? And there's the, there's the emotion, there's the pathos, and I think that's what the both teams represent, particularly um, with uh, Rhodes and Falcon, who both really distinctively mark each side of those arguments. They're both at the opposite ends of the spectrum, and I think that there is grounds for both. There's, there's, you know, there's reasoning behind both of them, and both of them put up very good arguments. Um, but yeah, I think I drifted more towards Captain America. It was it, his. There, there definitely are grounds for both in the film, and they're both presented as the right thing. There's not the directors trying to push you one way mm. and say, "Okay, pretend like every villain is a hero of his own story." But no one's a villain in this. Even the villain isn't the villain. <laughs> well, because that is... See... Yeah, that's true. Well, Zemo explain is... why at the end. Mm. You can see where everyone's coming from, and it's presented in a logical and emotionally sensible way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very grown-up sort of film. For a film about men in tights hitting each other, it's a very grown-up and mature film. Because it's got actual people dealing with actual grown-up things. Mm-hmm. Like, my girlfriend doesn't like what I do at the weekend, so I'm having to cut that back a little bit, but she's still not happy with me. Uh, Brooke, what's your thoughts? Goes, yeah, <laughs> <like that. laughs> so, I... Oh yeah, there are other people in the pod too. 
it's, it's, I, I never, some of that I never saw it like that. I, I kind of, I went in when I went to see it yesterday. I, I went in just to sit and put my feet up and enjoy the film. And I have to admit that I came out <clears throat> having just really enjoyed the film. Sure, there's, you know, there's action-wise, there's nowhere near as much as there was in Age of Ultron. But I think that's almost certainly a good thing because. Age of Ultron was literally like being hit in the face with CGI for two and a half hours. It was painful for some of it. Where this one, I really like the the political kind of edge that is taken. I I like the 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 two sides fighting, knowing that both of them are right. You know, whoever you side with, both like you said, both sides think, well, both sides know that they're right, and. You know, you get to, because of the, the fantastic way it's been written and directed, you get to sit and you pick your own side. You you stick with who you want to stick with, you know, and whoever you personally think is right. I I really enjoyed it. You know, two and a half hours I would gladly waste again. I, I, I want to mm. go and see it again tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. Did anybody uh, watch it in 3D? Because I didn't. No. no. Oh. I saw it in 2D as well. I know somebody who saw it in 4D. And they weren't very impressed with water spraying what? onto their 3D glasses. Fuck, that, that, that 4DX is such a fucking shitty way to watch film. <laughs> yeah, it's only acceptable if you're actually at Disney. I don't think it's even. I went to see Deadpool in it, and I sat and watched, and within five minutes, my fucking popcorn was wet. So I, you know, <laughs> paid. Okay, so I paid me four quid or five quid uplift on top of my unlimited card, plus my, you know two and a half mortgages for a box of popcorn and the fucker got soaked before the first action scene was over. There's Fuck a, right there's off. There's big windows in your cinema. They saw you coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those things I always wanted to try it out and I kind of assumed that I, I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to watch a new film in 4DX that they could ruin. So mm. I watched Deadpool on like my fifth or sixth screening because you weren't going to ruin that film for me. By having the, the the seats shake, turns out that yeah they still managed. They tried. <laughs> yeah. What, what did they do for the 4D when they're doing the Calendar Girl bit? What happened to your seat then? Calendar Girl bit. The bit where he gets paid. I was going to see if it could be subtle, but no. <laughs> uh, no, that just kind of. <laughs> the the seat just rocks a bit. <laughs> That's all you get for that. <laughs> like it was that. it was uncomfortable. Mm. But back to Civil War. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> anyway yeah, Civil War. What what things did you find um, disappointing within the film? Then is there anything that you you felt a bit underwhelmed by? I know uh, Brian, you just mentioned villains i i liked the villain because like i said the best villains know that they're doing the right thing like if you watch the first thor film every single thing loki does is a correct and sensible thing to do Mm -hmm. zemo pretty much everything maybe not the first thing he does but there are a lot of things he does that say yep that's sensible I like the fact that it wasn't a guy in a suit who you have to punch up. I said at the top of the show, though, going back one, that I gave it a 5 out of 10. And that's because I had one thing I wanted. Same as for Ant-Man, which is for one character. Could be Thunderbolt Ross, 
to look at him and say, Scott Lang's never had a real job in his life. It's a Parks and Rec joke. But yeah. they haven't done it in two films. Oh. <laughs> hmm. How hard can it be to put that line in? Because it completely <laughs> fits. <laughs> Five I, out I, of ten. I mean, I, I think for me, and it might be being a little bit picky, is, and I can't really talk about it, still spoiler alert, is, is the post-credit scenes. Um, the actual main oh, film yeah, itself, I just can't think of anything that... Um, really overly disappointed me um i said the act the action was good they managed all the characters well it it was funny it it had you know it had the good serious moments the the plot was good there wasn't stupid amounts of expositional dialogue kind we have to do this because of this and now we're going to go and do it it was you know it was well put together it got me well ant-man bent some way to getting over age of ultron but this kind of went even further to repairing the damage that Age of Ultron does. I suppose it freshened up the, the 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 Marvel universe a bit as well. In so much as kind of after Age of Ultron, you might start to think, is it really going to maintain the mm, being as, being as good as what it has been? There were some misses, but it's mostly been hit. And then you get their big centerpiece, which is Avengers, uh, so Age of Ultron, and not being that good. You think, well, can they? You know, is it is it dying? down is it on the way it was and it's dangerously close to being the start of their downward spiral wasn't it yeah and then they've come back with ant-man and this and just gone nope we're back and they've introduced some new characters that look really exciting and interesting um to obviously replace some that have even though there's gonna be films featuring other characters they've disappeared so you know they've brought new characters in um so yeah, it, 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 when you come out of Age of Ultron, you're on a bit of a downer about the MCU. Now you're kind of on an mm. up about it. It helps that every character was moved on. So they all end the film differently to how they started it. There was a lot was of development accent. for all of them. I mean, it was impressive. When you think, like, um, perhaps the only uh, two Marvel films where they've had a, an ensemble cast and done it really well were Guardians of the Galaxy and the first Avengers. I know there were a lot of characters in Winter Soldier, but it didn't really feel like a big ensemble piece. It was only kind of like three of them that were the main guys. This has actually kept up that side of it. You know, they've got so many individual personalities and they try to bring them all into it. And you you have to have like a feel for each of them. And, you know, are we going to mention what we haven't mentioned yet? You know, the big one. Should we tell people? The, the actually big one. The character uh, who... The, I'm going to say it. Spider-Man. Not I'm going to say Spider-Man. He, I think, was done just brilliantly. That is possibly the best version of that character he, that we've had on he, screen. He, he That's wasn't not a, hard, though, is it? He wasn't a pathetic little <laughs> yeah. emo. <laughs> he wasn't. Um... Oh, Mary Jane doesn't like me, but she might like me. Oh, I'm so complicated and dark and broody. No, fuck off. Yeah, it was fun. It was um, entertaining. He he was funny as well. Um, it it was mainly because him and Stark, the relationship that they've got, and from what we know now, um, Robert Downey Jr. is going to be in Spider Man Homecoming as well, probably in a small cameo mm. type role, I imagine. But it it was great. The, the chemistry that those two had. Tom Holland was really good as Peter Parker. 
Um, it, it just it was surprising the amount of screen time that they gave him as well. I expected a teaser for an upcoming film and, you know, I thought maybe he'll be in there for about five minutes, but he's in it for a good sort of 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. And it, it's a better film for it. It's a better film for his introduction. It lightens and sort of helps to... Him and particularly Paul Rudd as Ant-Man, those two together bring out a bit more humour in the plot as it's starting to get a little bit... Heavy. Heavy and um, overwhelming, maybe. And they mm. they just come along and suddenly it's a fun film again. Yes, um, Paul Rudd, just great as Ant-Man. Who he, he knocks it out of the park as well, doesn't he? I was, I was a little bit worried that he wasn't going to gonna be able to stand with the rest of them. Which, mm. which is a bit bad because obviously you know he's he's as good an actor as some of the guys in that film. But I was a bit worried that his character wouldn't quite fit in. But I thought he'd done really, really well, and I I loved every second he was on the screen. Same, same. And Paul Rudd was an actor, by the way, who I was not very keen on. Friends and role models. That's pretty much all I know him from. Yeah, I never really liked role models. I liked um, Wet Hot American Summer, but I think I watched that after seeing Ant-Man. What do you mean you didn't like role models? Role models is great. I love that film. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I, I really liked him in Ant-Man. It was the first time I watched him and got actually, he's pretty, he is pretty funny. He's got very good comic timing. It was a bit crap, I have to say. It was a bit crap that he is in the trailer for Age of Ultron, for Civil War, because if he hadn't been in the trailer, his reveal would have been awesome. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, to round up then, before we go into recommendations and spoiler alert, what did we all think of Captain America Civil War? I thought it was fantastic, um, as mentioned previously. Owen? Yeah, I surprisingly liked it a lot. Uh, I watched the, th- the first time I watched Winter Soldier in the cinema. I thought that was good, but there were I had real problems with certain parts of it, and it was only when I watched it again I thought actually it, Winter Soldier is a really good film. Um, it's only the second time around. Whereas with Civil War, it's just been from the the first first watch. I thought, yeah, this is great. This is all the things that I didn't like about Winter Soldier have been omitted. All the good things about the MCU are highlighted. It's just, um, it's been a, it's a really good, interesting, different, and entertaining uh, Marvel film. Uh, Brooker, uh, yeah, pretty much the same. I, I, I have to admit, when I came out of Winter Soldier, I loved it. I absolutely adored Winter Soldier when I first came out, and I think this. I don't think this tops it. I think this equals Winter Soldier for me. There are a couple of niggly little issues in it that bug me they're not bad uh it doesn't make it a bad film they just personally annoyed me a little bit but the film i think it's it's absolutely brilliant it does you know plenty of of character development the talky bits aren't boring which is Mm -hmm. hard to do when you've got you know that many people talking about political shit it's you know the only other thing that's managed to make it that interesting is like West Wing and House of Cards. So <laughs> if you can keep up to that level of dialogue, make it really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Superb film. 
Well, it's, it's really you should mention that because I don't I don't watch Game of Thrones anymore because I've got Sky and I can't be asked no, to download me it. Because yeah, but the, that always does a, a, has a little trick because you know a lot of um, Game of Thrones is quite political, right, in terms of its own world and stuff, and so lots of the dialogue is trying to advance or explain certain things, and um, every time it does that in the background or even the foreground is tits. Yep. <laughs> it's just like, okay, people aren't going to pay attention to this. What can we do to make sure people don't fast forward to this moment? Just tits. Tits. Yeah. Tits, tits. ass. The occasional mm. dong. Just tits yeah. on the screen. Yeah. There we go. Um, Brian, what did you think? I think if you look at the criticisms we've had of every other big comic book film, this doesn't do any of those. I... Mm. I'm enjoying it more having spoken about it because watching it, there was a bit of... It's quite a long film. I, mean, I look forward to the day where someone does a big tentpole film that is less than two hours because you <laughs> leave the cinema and you go, oh, that happened. I forgot <clears> about <throat> that. <clears throat> well, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's really good. Okay. And I think that if I was in charge, I would be giving the Russos whatever they wanted to make okay. more films. Well, they they are doing the Avengers, right? They're going to be ne- the Infinity new sort War. of yeah, uh, yeah, the Infinity War film. So they're sort of overseeing the rest of Phase Three. Yeah, in a way. Yeah. Yes. Um... They're, they're taking the role that Joss Whedon was going to do, but didn't. Okay. Um... Right. Very quickly, then on to some recommendations for the week ahead. I'm going to go with Friday night, or Friday afternoon, sorry, film four, uh, Saturday afternoon, I'm getting everything wrong, Saturday afternoon, film four, 25 past four, School of Rock. Uh, Brooker? Uh, I'm going to go with a, a film I saw on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, little, little uh, th- proper, it's, it's classed as a horror, it's not a horror, it's a thriller, it's called Hush. Yeah, I watched that this week as well. It's fucking uh, brilliant, I absolutely adored it. Um, Owen? So, um, I am going to tell you first of all what I'm not recommending, <laughs> which is a film called The Last Castle, which was uh, on BBC One or Two last night. I ended up watching it all. Is that the James Gandolfini one? Yeah, Robert, James Robert Gandolfini, Redford. Robert Redford, Mark Ruffalo. It was fucking God, dire. That film. Why would you watch that? It just happened to be on whilst I was doing a bit of uni work, and I was just like, Oh, you know, it hasn't started well. But Robert Redford, James Gandolfini, it may, I mean... It may be the worst thing James Gandolfini's ever done. It is just the most sickeningly patriotic piece of fucking garbage I've ever watched. Um, but oh, wait, anyway... is that the one where Robert Redford's in a prison? They have to move rocks? prison drama and... Oh, I the, watched that the... as a student. don't remember anything else about it. The, I mean, I, I don't give a fuck if this is spoiling it, but the, the scene with the flag and the pole at the end... Just disgusting. I hated it. I always remember um, the, the shitty saluting in it where he does the hand on his forehead like he's spamming himself. Uh, uh, yeah, going full the... retard and yeah. stuff. It's uh, just... uh, kill him. Fuck you. Awful, it... awful film. Awful. And I went to IMDb afterwards. It's like, surely no one's rated this positively. <laughs> 6.9. on IMDb. <laughs> uh, so higher than Rollerball. Not... <laughs> do not, do not watch that film, The Last Castle. Um, but what I am going to recommend is a TV series, which is called Flowers, which has been on um, Channel 4 recently. 
with Olivia Colman and Julian Barrett and written, directed by and starring a fella called Will Sharp. Um, just so dark, really dark. It's about a depressed dad who tries to kill himself and then instead of actually killing himself because the tree branch breaks, his mom, who's got Alzheimer's, ends up falling and killing herself whilst trying to hide the rope. And then he it just spirals into this lie about her trying to commit suicide, and then it's like people feel sorry for for Julian Barrett as the dad because and it's just it's so dark, but it is really funny. I've laughed so much at it, and it doesn't sound like something you should laugh at, but honestly, um, I really recommend it. Julian Barrett's brilliant, and Olivia Coleman as always is just fantastic. It's on um, all four, by the way. There's six episodes, and I think they're about half an hour each. Okay. Um, and Brian? My film is on Love Film, not on Netflix. Um, and if you like Civil War, where there's two sides and nobody's right, and you like Baron Zemo, watch Rush, the mm. Chris Helmsworth, Hemsworth, and... Is it Helmet, Brian? The other guy? Daniel. Um, two racing Daniel. drivers. It's a sports film. But there's no baddie, just two guys <laughs> who think, I, I want him to win. I want him to win too, but I want him to win. Um, so it's got three Avengers alumni. It's got the villain from Civil War. It's got Hemsworth. It's got Natalie Dormer. She was in Captain America. And I watched it not knowing how it ended. And mm. it's bloody brilliant. It was really good. I, I, probably my favourite Ron Howard film. It was really good in the cinema with the sound and the engines and stuff. I mean, I'm not into Formula One, but it doesn't really matter. You don't have to know Formula One or be into cars or anything. It's just a really good drama. And if you like someone getting curb stomped, it's got that too. <laughs> really? Bit of everything. Yeah. It's properly vicious and it comes out of nowhere. Okay. Um, so yes, if you haven't seen the film or uh, and you don't want it spoiled for you, then don't listen beyond this point. You have been warned. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, on Twitter at failedcritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failedcritics. Thanks for listening. Time for spoiler alert now, where we talk about Captain America Civil War in full detail and ruin it for Matt Lamborn. I'm not going to stop that joke. <laughs> Evening, Matt. It's yep. his own fault. So if you have seen the film and want to hear us talk a bit more about it, or you haven't seen the film and weirdly don't want it ruined for you, then carry on listening as well. Um, so, yes, we're, this, this film, weirdly, for um, a Marvel film, doesn't Although it introduces Spider-Man and Black Panther, it doesn't kind of tee up with both the film and post-credits any kind of future films. 
from what I could see anyway. There it wasn't any direct... the Black Panther film. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean... Steve the... Rogers is going to be hiding and Bucky's going to be asleep in Wakanda. Mm. Plus, I think Martin Freeman's character is going to feature more heavily in that. Because hasn't he been cast in it already? I, Black Panther? I believe, from, I believe from the comics as well, isn't he somebody who kind of has a, a, a help, you know, kind of mutually him and Black Panther help each other in in way, you know, in, in different ways. I believe they got a, a quite a close relationship in the comics from what I've read. It depends. Some know. of the some of the Black Panther comics have been super tone deaf in terms of we've got this big African country, it doesn't trust anybody else, therefore we're going to hang on to the cure for cancer. You can all go get fucked. Yay, mm-hmm. we're the heroes. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of things that came out of that run that some folks stick with. <clears throat> I don't want to be the guy that talks about comics, so let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. The well, Black Panther was. We don't need to go into his history really too much, but you know, it was a black rights thing. So it's kind of that stance you can understand, I guess, in a way. But anyway, yeah, let's not dwell on. Yeah, on that, that was published in about two thousand and five. The one I'm talking mm. about. Oh, I see. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um. Mm. Right, but yeah. So I actually. Actually, he, it was uh, it was one of the the stronger points of the film was his character. Everything from um, the the introduction of Black Panther himself as he sort of chases uh, Bucky and um, what a uh, chase as well, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That Bucky like, and Captain through the, about... went on foot was just great through the tunnel. That little bit you See saw the... in the trailer was nothing. I I literally I thought that was going to be it. And when mm. when you get to that chase, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, talking about chasing the the chase at the beginning, um, in Nigeria, were bits of that sped up because the speed of the fighting was ridiculous. Uh, no, the <clears throat> I think the Russos have got a couple of really really good fight choreographers on staff. Because mm. they had the similar style of fighting all the way through Winter Soldier as well, and yeah, they, they film it very, very well. I don't think it was. It's, it's, I certainly didn't think it had been sped up. I'd have to go back and watch it again. But it, 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 I mean, it's not. I mean, it is not an unusual trick, is it, to speed it up slightly? No, well, you do. Um, you do very slow. You, you do the fight very slow and then speed it up in post, so you don't actually hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. I thought it. I thought it all looked really good. The action. There was a slight shaky cam stuff going on at points. You know, the whole sort of Jason Bourne esque. Yeah, it did, it did get very green zone chasing through Nigeria, didn't it? Yeah, at points. But otherwise, that worked really well. Good to see Crossbones back. Oh, um, I was gutted. I was absolutely distraught because I love Frank Grillo and I really wanted him yeah. to be a big part of this film. Yeah, and I really wanted him to be Punisher, to be honest. Well, yeah, but, but he, what you, I think you want him to be Punisher. Go and watch <laughs> uh, the Purge two. Yeah, he play, was... he basically plays the Punisher in the Purge two. Yeah, and he's good in it. He's fucking he's awesome in it, and I'm actually I never thought I'd say it, but I'm really looking forward to the Purge three. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I would I was a bit disappointed that they killed him off so quickly. 
Uh, to be honest, I would have kept him as the villain who was pitting the uh, Avengers against each other and not gone with Zemo. I think <clears> the only problem with that, but it, it would have yeah, made it a very... had Winter Soldier. Sorry, on you go. No, no, go on. No, the thing they had in Winter Soldier is that Crossbones, he's just some guy who likes to hurt people. Mm. You point him at someone, you say go hit him, and they go, he goes hits him. But he's he not had gifted man. <laughs> but he had just as much uh, motivation as um, Zemo because he's motivation, yes, but not ability. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, they can make up what they want. I mean, they were both special yeah. forces guys, essentially, weren't they? So they, I think you you had that. I think you. Or even if he was working with Hydra, or you know, some former Hydra person. I mean, they 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 killed off Baron von Strucker in the last film, which was a shame. And they're the, the you know getting rid of Crossbones and bringing in Zemo, who I can only assume is there because he will play into it when eventually Red Skull comes back. But well, I mean, they, they Zemo's motives were just not really revealed, were they? At the end, it's kind of teased where. Um... Martin Freeman's character says to him, and, and he's talking, you know, he says something to him, and he kind of implies that there's more to come. You never really get what Zemo's up to or why he's yeah, up to. His, his motive was to, to stop the Avengers by yeah. making them not work together. That was literally it, and then he was about to shoot himself in the head. Because, so I don't want to his plans. Yeah. So he's done the, it, the, it. Yeah. So him sticking around afterwards is just an accident. You know, I don't think there is any more to what his plan was than I'm just going to split the, the Avengers up. And it works because, you know, in the end, he's he's right. He's done what he wanted to do. The, there's no a divide. The, the half of the Avengers are going to have to go into hiding. Tony Stark's alienated all of his friends again and he's just left on his own. I mean, we don't even know what's happened to Pepper Potts in terms of like where she's gone for this film. Yeah, that was weird. I wasn't sure about that. The way she just wasn't there. It, I mean, was it a casting issue, or did she just is she not supposed to be there as part of the story? Her not being, I think her not being there is part of the story, and it it works kind of well if you you want to paint Tony in this film as a man who will do anything and everything when he finds the cause he believes in, whether that's mm-hmm. Doing shield work or Avengers work, or making sure that nobody gets hurt, and you have to show him as being someone who's willing to sacrifice personal things to fit in with his ideals. And Pepper is the first sacrifice he makes. Yeah. Okay. But it, yeah, it's a shame it happens like between films. Do you know what I mean? I, the... I mean, in a way, you think about it. Probably, if you have Pepper Potts there, it then just becomes about the argument he would have with Pepper on screen. So I'm, I mean I'm okay you, with it. I was just and then you do more of turning the women into these shrill things that don't let the boys have fun. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. it just yeah. it seemed a little jarring. Uh, actually, you know, the first, when I was watching, I was like, this seems really weird. Especially the first time she's mentioned, you're like, why are you acting like she's died? And I mm. have I missed I dra- something? <laughs> yeah, I was racking my brains. I was like, did she? Did something happen to her in Age of Ultron that I forgot? I mean, I know they had an argument, but I don't remember them. Parting ways for good, never to be seen again. No. So, 
Yeah, but anyway, so she wasn't there. She, I think she was a little bit, yeah. Was she in Age of Ultron? I don't remember. I think she I was. I think she was. Um, she was but... on a plane. I don't think she was physically in a scene with Tony. Was she not? I I seem to remember her, but... Doesn't she have an argument with him about... Ultron? How can I not know this? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, other people who aren't there... Uh, sort of Samuel L. Jackson is still gone. Yeah, he's, he's not there hiding. anymore. In London, isn't that where he went? Or did did he, he come back in Age of Ultron as well? I mean, I'm just this is yeah. He was cool. in the he was in the shed, wasn't he, at Hawkeye's house? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that scene. Um, you mean you yeah. did, you didn't buy a uh, Tony talking to a tractor? <laughs> Uh, it had me convinced for a while. <laughs> but, yeah, he's not there. Mark Ruffalo as uh, Hulk, Bruce Banner, isn't in it at all. Chris Hemsworth as Thor isn't in it. Still nothing the... about Agent Coulson, even though he's off running around with his, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That, yeah, someone I needs to address like how that. They... He's still going to be in the show. <laughs> I did like how they built the absence of Thor and Hulk into the film, with Ross saying, if I lost a weapon, which is what those guys are, I'd yeah. be court-martialed. What mm. the hell are you doing? Exactly. So that plays into the thing we mentioned earlier about the sort of the logic side of it, with you know James Rhodes and Tony Stark, and they're all sort of pointing to the legislation that would keep an eye on this and make sure we're not responsible individually if something goes wrong. Whereas, yeah, you know, but uh, a really kind of to the side question. Obviously, I don't. Do comic books? The legislation in this film, the what they call it, the Sokovia Accords, is this the same as the mutant registration from X Men Three? Um, Isn't Civil War all over the mutant registration? Am I? I might be completely wrong. Please tell me if I am. But yeah, no, it's a similar concept. I, I was under because Wolverine's in Civil War as well, isn't he? Is he? Right, yeah. If you're talking about not in the film, Marvel in the comics. comics Civil- like, oh, yes. Civil War is an editorial fuck-up because <laughs> there's like seven different writers who all write their own version of what this the, the registration yeah. actually means. Oh, okay, fair enough. I'll just, it's, it's something I'd come across. Mess. In, some, in some books it means this, in some books it means that. Don't bother. Fair enough. Yeah, just the main Mark Miller thing is all you need to read for Civil War. And even then you're reading too much of it. <laughs> I liked Civil War. It was the first Marvel I comic I probably read. And then I read it again and went, ugh. Well, it was at that yeah, time, wasn't it? It was with um, writers trying to still express a post-9-11 world. And it was probably just at the tail end of that. I think there was something was in it about... 2006. Yeah. So it was, it you know, a few few years later so it was still trying to address what it was like and you know keeping an eye on people making sure everyone's registered you know in the uk at the time was the id cards and mark miller's from you know glasgow that is from so there's i think it was of its time um and i think what uh the russo brothers do with this is try to make this relevant to its time as well so the stuff in there about, uh, again, about registration, but it's about accountability for stuff. You can't just go around fucking world policing. You know, you, if you do... I'll if just you just go if, around blowing shit up. 
yeah, you know, you you can't decide individually with when you have that much power that you are going to decide that this thing here is worth whatever I have as an asset. But actually, all this other stuff, fuck it. And if something happens over here anyway, well, you know, sorry. That's it. You know, it's it's the the it it's trying to address a sort of modern, maybe perhaps not spectacularly well, but it's it's at least got an undercurrent of of feeling relevant. Um, I mean, in the review on the website, I likened it a little bit to uh, parts of the film to to gun control in the U.S. Where you've got one side saying, yes, you should have, you know, registration. It's okay to have guns, but you shouldn't actually be just free to buy whatever you want, whenever you want, and do whatever you want with it. Whereas the other side is saying, well, it's our freedom. You're, we're, you're suppressing our freedoms. And it's like, it puts a different sort of spin on the Civil War sort of angle. Yeah. But I think it, it's just the fact that they're trying to do something with it, which is admirable, rather than having it straight up superheroes being registered and having no actual relevance to anything. Which is interesting with Scarlett Johansson's character as Black Widow, because we all knew which side she was on from the posters, um, but still comes as a little bit of a shock, I think, because she's been so anti-government in the past. Yeah, Or was that just me? No, she's definitely been anti-government in the past. Hmm. But her whole arc throughout the film was about taking responsibility for the bad things that you've done. Yeah. Oh, it worked. I think it definitely worked. And I think it it's very um, sort of a counterpoint to the, the, the ideals that Captain America expresses um, in terms of they both seem to want the same thing. They've both been tools of their governments in the past. But one is accepting accountability... One way, one is doing it the other. And so I think it's... That's because um, Steve didn't have to murder people who didn't deserve it. Or but he didn't deserve it in, from a certain perspective. Okay, he, he killed in combat, she was an assassin. That's mm. the difference. He... Yeah. He was a soldier and she was a yeah weapon. A spy. Mm. Um, still... A, a very funny film as well as most Marvel films do tend to have a lighter side to them um. yeah well the whole uh, bit with Ant-Man becoming Giant-Man mm. what a spectacular moment that was That was. even crazy. when he was do, doing the build up to it and he, he was talking about oh he's done it a few times in uh, the you know practice room and each time he's thrown up or passed out yeah. Like, what is he? What's he doing? Myself in half. Don't come back for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best bit of his funniest line was was before that when he was Ant Man and got fired into Iron Man's armor. And <laughs> who's this? It's your conscience. <laughs> we don't talk very often. <laughs> no. Oh, oh, when uh, Vision went through him, he's like, "Oh, something just flew into me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Also, the fact that the Vision dresses like your dad. <laughs> that... Yeah. I wonder well, who his the thing with, that was. Mm, the thing with Vision in this film is they're really starting to um, humanise him. Um, you're getting the seeds of him being not just uh, the super being, the, the godlike thing anymore. He's making mistakes by shooting roads out of the sky. 
by accident. And his he... cooking. <laughs> and his cooking, I guess. Um, and also he's... this relationship with Wanda that's being established. Um, it was quite nice though, that... to see that he's not completely indestructible after his confrontation with Scarlet Witch. So that was, although I didn't like her doing it, it was quite nice to see that actually, yeah, the, the, there's a way to beat you, kind of. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was really clever because obviously after Ultron, you think, oh shit, this dude's like all powerful and unstoppable. This this could be an issue a little way down the line. But I, I quite yeah. like that. And it was the the linking of the um, uh, the stones again, right? Yeah. Because they both share this thing where they've been affected by um, something they don't understand. Mm. So there's the, the connection again that's been established, which is also a nice aspect to to Civil War in that, yes, it's it's brought up, it's mentioned, um, but actually the Infinity Stones are not a huge part of this. It no. isn't no. about setting up even more uh, Avengers films. It's, you know, obviously it sets up Spider-Man, it sets up uh, Black Panther quite nicely. Mm. I have to admit, both of them. It's not, it's not, it's not there to, you know, some other films you feel are there, or some other sections of films you feel are just there to set up the next one. But this one, it just leaves it as, okay, Tony, these things have happened between us, mm-hmm. but if if you need us, you know where we are, you got my number, just give us a bell. And then it's just like, well, we know Infinity War is going to happen. We just don't know how it's going to happen yet. I'm sure we'll find that out probably in Guardians 2 uh, and then Infinity Wars. There might Mm -hmm. be some post-credit scenes, stingers in in Doctor Strange, etc., etc., and other films that take us to maybe what's going to happen. But, you know. Yeah, there's no, like, anyone wondering wondering off to... A paddling pool to have a, a nightmare about the future in this one. Yeah, which is nice, you know. Yeah. Um, to take their top off and show you their abs mainly, I think. Well, uh, I mean, but... if I had those abs, I would. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's an argument. I think. Um, yeah. So also, actually, in terms of character development, because we haven't really mentioned him, is uh, the Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan's uh, Bucky Barnes, it, who was much better in this than he was in Winter Soldier. In terms of the way that he was used, because in that he was, you know, he was, he's got it, more character time, didn't he? Instead of just being the bad guy or the bad guy's tool. Yeah, the cold, silent yeah. assassin thing. He got a lot of development in this, which I really like, because I I really did like him uh, in the Winter Soldier. I thought, but I mean, I like kind of anti-hero stuff, so I I really liked that he was going to obviously come back as a good guy when you saw him at the end of Winter Soldier, and I really liked what they'd done with him here. There was a nice little um, coincidence, I think, me and Owen, or Owen worked out that it was, was that at one point, this this will allude back to Batman versus Superman, but at one point Falcon just says, after they kind of met up and found um, Bucky, and he's kind of started to remember who Steve is, everything, and he just says, oh, he knows your mother's name. Does that mean we're friends now? Yeah. Like and it just sort of, it, even though they're being made at the same time, so it feels it so probably it very much wasn't a dig. It does feel like a bit of a dig. How much did you? How much do you want to know when that Blu-ray comes out and you watch the special features? The Russos go, yeah, yeah, we redone that. <laughs> that yeah, that, but the that thing was is, a dig. Yeah. But the thing is, like Batman versus Superman was going to come out after Civil War originally, so. 
I don't I don't see how it could be. Well, no, of course it's not, but you know it would be it would be nice if they went. Actually, yeah, we'd done that because we saw just how much people took the piss, so we thought we'd do it anyway. <laughs> you know, have a bit of a laugh. Like this bit. Give us this. Mm. But um, well, actually, on the subject of Anthony Mackie and Falcon, he he was act- This is the best um, that his character has been so far. He felt. Like he had a purpose as part of the team. Talking about the stuff in um, Nigeria at the beginning with um, Rogers, uh, uh, whatever Anthony Mackie's character is called, Sam Wilson, Wilson, and uh, you know Black Widow and uh, the Scarlet Witch. When they're all together, they feel like a unit, and that was great. It worked, and his sort of what's he called? His little bird, his little red uh, red wing. Red Wing was a nice little touch, I felt. And uh, it just, yeah, I think just Anthony Mackie in this film was probably the most that I've liked him in it so far. Uh, well, he was, so he very, was, he was very, pretty much a backup character, wasn't he, in The Winter Soldier? Uh, in The Winter Soldier, he just felt like, you know, Chris Evans' is a mate. Yeah. Just tagging along. Occasionally, he would be there for moral support and yeah. he would have a bit of flashy stuff with his wings, but really... That was it. But Whereas we're, it, it now we're at that point where he's he's a properly developed character because we've had him in Winter mm. Soldier. Now he's part of the Avengers. You know, mm. forgetting mm. that we had the silly fight between him and and Paul Rudd in Ant Man. Yeah, which was good. Which oh, was, was awesome. Good. I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah. Um. Hmm. What about uh, Clint Barton as Hawkeye? He's just he's becoming the, the grumpy old cynical man, of... isn't he? Mm. He's the one who it didn't make sense for him to do the things he did. How like do you everyone, mean? Everyone else had a motivation. Quince was just, I've been told they need to come out and have a fight. I don't want to spend time with the kids. I'm going to have a fight instead and up in prison because that's a good idea for a guy like me with responsibilities. Yeah. Hmm. I see where you're coming from. Unless, if there's a bit where it talks about, because he came in first off to uh, release the Scarlet Witch, and if they do a thing about, I'm responsible for you kids, or you kid, now your brother Mm, died. mm. If if that was the way they played it, and they made it clearer, that would have made a bit more sense. He did say that he owed her, didn't he? It did, and he he was the one who went back for her to sort of yeah, save in which her case, from. He, in which case, he goes, he does that, then that's it, job done. You don't need to go to the airport. Thanks very much, Clint. Water skiing time. Mm. But you make him stick around just for the sake of having a fight thing. I don't know. I think that it didn't feel like that to do. me. It it felt like he was there to um, stand up for his own beliefs, you know. He has sort of been in the past a character who you don't think just sits back and lets things happen. He just seems to be very principled, particularly um, in terms of his relationship to to Wanda and uh, her brother for Major Voltron. But I see where you, I definitely see where you're coming from. However, I thought it it was good as well. I think it's probably my favourite version of Hawkeye that's been in the films as well. Um, because the last time well, the whole stuff with his from. family, yeah, that's true. You've got the brainwashed, silent guy from the Avengers, or the guy who shoots an arrow at um, Thor, wasn't it? Wasn't that when he yeah, made his debut? Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, 
Yeah, I didn't really like Cage of Ultron at all. <laughs> I didn't like the characterization of Hawkeye. But in this, it was um, the right balance. He didn't dominate anything. He was just there and he actually had some funny lines and some. he added something to the dynamic of the group, I think. Um, and actually making him and um, Scarlett Johansson's character sort of face off against each other was also quite a nice little touch. Very quickly, talking about. Finish. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, carry on, carry on, Brian. What were you going to say? Right. Talking about Hawkeye, when he gets put in prison and then Stark goes to see him at the raft, controlled mm-hmm. by General Thunderbolt Ross, I thought, are, are they going to bring in the Thunderbolts out of nowhere? Because that would be super cool. But no, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. But those I mean, who would. Thunderbolts are supervillains in prison and they get let out. Basically, it's Marvel Suicide Squad. Yeah. Except nobody sends other people a jar of semen. <laughs> mm. Yeah, good old Javid Leto. Um... I mean, you're talking about it, though, aren't you? That's the thing. It's yeah. Everybody I've seen complain, I go, well, you're talking about this more than you've been talking about any other superhero <laughs> thing ever. So, yeah, I'm... I'm well, I think it's pretty gross. I'm okay with what he's been doing. He's not sending it to me. I don't give a fuck. The whole thing about the Thunderbolts, though, is that we haven't got any villains in prison in the Marvel world. None that we know of. you got Hawkeye, Ant-Man and Falcon. Yeah, but they're not villain no, villains, so. no. I mean... Uh, the Abomination wasn't... Someone said what, the Tim Abomination Roth? was meant to be in... This or he was meant to be at the start of a Marvel film to get like a, a big Avengers group film to get his ass kicked, but he's still really? on the board somewhere. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he's not dead. He's still on the board somewhere. If they want, they can bring him back, just like they brought back Ross. Hmm. Oh. Okay. That's interesting. If you want to do a thing like they did with Crossbones, you just bring someone in to have his ass kicked in the first fifteen minutes. He's there. Yeah. Mm. A bit like Paul Giamatti in Amer- in Amazing Spider-Man Two. Mm. The start as Rhino. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> no, the nobody wants to see that. I know what you mean. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, very quickly to round off the post-credit scenes. Um, what do we think of those? Like we've mentioned earlier, they didn't really tie into any future films, but um, or as far as we could see, really, uh, in any massive way. But what do we think of them? Uh, one was one that's with the Wakanda, uh, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one was the other one was is complex in Spider-Man. Yeah, I only watched them on YouTube. So there's the one with Spider-Man. Yeah, where he gets the watch which beams something on the ceiling. Is it really bad that I watched that and went, nah, I don't care. It's no, really dull. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the, the Wakanda stuff because it's 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 kicking off a story that I don't know and it looks quite interesting and I quite like the idea of that particular good guy who looks a bit fun but I'm so sick to the back teeth of Spider-Man. You won't convince me that just because Marvel's got creative control that it's going to be good not till it actually comes out. They have to go down some completely different route Yeah, surely. They can't just have you know him against Green Goblin again. I don't believe it's going to be an origin story, is it? I believe it's not going to be. No, I think no but we know he's only six it. months into his career as mm. Spider-Man, though, right? Yeah. 
But I mean, so there's, yeah, not much big's going to happen to him at, yet. At least we had Spider-Man in the film and no mention of fucking Uncle Ben. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. a nice change of pace. So, what were the other the other end credit scenes? Was one of them the bit with uh, Bucky going into yeah. stasis? Yeah, right, okay. yeah, put back in the freezer. Yeah, with one arm. Yeah. No, two arms. No, no, he gets just a new one vibranium arm. arm. He was strapped up at no, the end. No, he gets a new arm. arm. Uh, but he didn't in the film, though, did he? Did he? Are you sure? Because I'm sure he only he had a black thing. He just had this little shoulder was beanie over his shoulder, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Because what that's done oh. more than anything else, it's removed the red star on his arm for the next film. Mm-hmm. So he can come back and be Captain America at some point. Yeah, probably. So with the, but I've read online there were three. Or am I reading wrong? No, there's two. No, Just only the two. two. I only saw two. Okay. Yeah, I only saw two. I wasn't supposed to hang around until the next one started, was I? Wait <laughs> <laughs> for the next screening. Yeah. I've been talking of screenings. Fucking hell. Today and yesterday. I mean, I know it's a bank holiday weekend, but my local cinema's got five screens, right? It's not huge, but five screens is, you know, that's okay. They're only showing two fucking films all, all weekend. There's Civil War and Jungle Book. They're just filling the fucking cinema again. <clears throat> well, we, uh, my both my locals are rammed with Civil War. Like I, both of the local ones. What I tend to do, I tend to walk in, get a coffee, go get my, go sit and watch my film. I don't tend to grab popcorn and shit. I just get my coffee and go see my film. I walked in with Litland and wife today, and I went. I the queue for the coffee was going out the fucking door. Really? I like, I'm going to be here for 45 minutes. I've got 20 minutes till the film starts. I've never seen it so fucking full. Mm. Absolutely mental. I, that is crazy. Uh, and I went to Northampton, actually, to see uh, Cap yesterday because you know, I had to leave a little one with the outlaws. So we went to the nearest Cineworld, which happens <laughs> to be the, the flea pit in Northampton. And that was absolutely rammed as well. And I haven't seen that place rammed for years. See, I went on Friday evening. And, you know, I went to, a, I think it was a half eight showing and there was nobody really there. It wasn't packed. There was no queues. I had, you know, no trouble getting to a seat. Really? It was, yeah, it was weird. Because it's a bank holiday weekend and people have gone, we won't go cinema Friday because long weekend. The mm. only time I've been at the cinema that's been properly jam-packed has been for Bond. Like in the last five years, I go on opening night for all the... <laughs> The big blockbuster films and Bond and Star Wars have been the only time that it's been completely full. Every other one, it's moderately busy, like 70, 60%. Yep, same here. I mean, Skyfall's the only one I've seen queues going out the door for. Every every other film has been, even when the, the screenings have been kind of full, has never been completely sold out, except for, for Skyfall. Sky- we- we had to leave through the emergency exits because there was no space in the lobby <laughs> to go wow. out and also to get people in. Bloody mm. hell. Okay, I was well, that we, in a very uh, small cinema, though. Shall we uh, end, our, end our podcast here uh, with the unanimous decision that Civil War is great and let's all go and see it again. Um, and can we, we just do one quick thing, which is like, can, if you were going to place it in your... Like list of MCU films, Steve. Have you got a, a sort of decision on where it would be, where it would fit? For me, it's 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 level, perhaps slightly above, um, uh, 
what's it called, Captain America 2. Um, mm. it's, it's perhaps slightly better than it, in my opinion. It's, cert- it's certainly up there with the best that Marvel have done. Um, how about yourself? I, I'm still going to go for the original Avengers as the best one, I think. I don't think that's been toppled yet. Uh, I think Iron Man, the original Iron Man, is probably next. Mm, then I don't know. Maybe I would. It, you'd, whatever day, I would probably have a different answer between Iron Man three and uh, and this and Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, uh, Brian. I've still got Iron Man three as number one. Um, this will come closish, not just because it's got somebody falling uncontrollably. Um, <laughs> That, that's one of the things that just when it happens, you, I feel the back of my neck get all hot and sweaty. Go, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, it's it's up there for want of a better answer. Okay, and Brooker, join first with Winter Soldier. Uh, I think I'd have to watch it again to make it change. I I don't think it will. Winter Soldier's still my top. I would say it's as good as Winter Soldier with. Depending on the day, probably Guardians or Iron Man in third. But yeah, perf- perfectly uh, performed fight choreography is a big thing for me. And both the fighting in both those films, it hurts to watch it. So yeah, amazing. <laughs> okay, well that draws to a close this week's um, Failed Critics Podcast. Thank you all for listening and join us again next week. Go on, Brian. You had something prepared for us. What was it? Um, yeah, just because Jim Rash was in it, and he's an Oscar winner, <laughs> as everyone will know. Um, I looked up Oscar nominations for Marvel movie actors. So with one nomination, we got Samuel Jackson, Josh Whedon for Toy Story, Josh Berlin, Terence Howard, Mickey Rook, Tim Roth, Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Jimon Hunsu nominated twice. Ed Norton, Mark Ruffalo nominated three times, so no one knows who the Better Hulk is. Kenneth Branagh, five nominations. Glenn Close, six nominations. With winners, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jim Rash, Natalie Portman, Robert Redford have all won one Oscar. Uh, William Hurt, Ben Kingsley, Tommy Lee Jones, Anthony Hopkins have won one and been nominated three other times. Jeff Daniels has won one and been nominated five times. And Michael Douglas has won two. So he is the best Marvel actor. Michael Douglas. Bloody hell. What did Jeff Daniels get nominated for? He nominated for... He won for Crazy Heart, nominated for True Grit, The Contender, Last Picture Show, Starman, and Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. I don't know either. Jeff Daniels was. Do you mean Jeff Bridges? Say so Jeff Bridges was crazy. Happy. I was just saying. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Jeff Bridges. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I made me. that mistake first when I googled it and went, "No, that would be a very different sort of film." <laughs> yes, Jeff Bridges. He got nominated for uh, Dumb and Dumber. Um, he, yeah, no, Jeff, yeah, Jeff Bridges. Okay, yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm. See, when you write things down without thinking. <laughs> 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.